Let me invite your attention to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And um, I want to say a couple of things while you're thumbing to find that. Um, I, I want to offer you three things. First of all, uh, for those of you who are interested in wandering around in some fairly deep theological waters, um, I have this thing that I do twice a year um, in July and in January. It's called an introduction to systematics. If you're interested in that, you have to commit for eight hours. It doesn't cost you a dime, but you've got to commit for eight hours. Four hours on one Saturday, four hours on the next. It's July the 11th and, and 18th, I think. But if you're interested, it usually fills up. Uh, we try to keep it small for the purposes of discussion. But that's available to you. If you want it, you need to call my secretary and, and um, sign up. The second thing I want to offer you is, um, this is different, but it starts on June the 6th. It's a Saturday morning. It'll cost you, it doesn't cost anything, but um, uh, it's three Saturday mornings, and you do not have to come all three. But if you're going to come number two, you've got to come number one. If you don't come number one, you can't come number two or number three. But you got, if you come to number one and you don't want to come back, that's fine too. But what I'm going to do, for those of you who know a little bit about the history of the Reformation, um, it, was, it was summarized in what they called the five solas. Faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, God's grace alone. That's called the five solas. Well, I'm doing one of those solas, sola scriptura, which means Scripture alone, on the 6th, the 13th, and the 20th of June. But again, um, if you come on one and don't like it, you don't ever have to come back. Um, you don't have to come back the next, hour, the next Saturday. But there'll be three Saturdays, uh, two hours, 10 to noon. We'll break, take a break. And, um, but that's different from the systematic theology. That's in July. This Sola Scriptura thing's in June. So if you want that. Now finally, here's the third thing. But this is not for you. This is for the college world, the 18 to 26 world. Um, I'm going to tweet this out to you later on, but actually, that's not true. I, I don't tweet, um, but I have friends who do. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a fake tweeter, um, but um, some of you who are in that age group, um, I have taught you all your life. I'm, I'm pretty much the only pastor you've known, and I've taught you all your life. I want to have you teach me. We're, we are inviting you to our home on the 14th of June. It's, um, it's a Sunday night. The only thing I'm offering you is a cup of coffee. And then I'm going to sit in a chair and I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you as we talk about subjects in your world. I want to get to know your world better. And so I'm going to sit there and I'm going to throw out a topic and I'm going to say, tell me about it. Uh, what, 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 is, what, what comes from your world? What's the vantage point of your world over these topics? That's the 14th of June in our home. We'd love to have you. And um, I, I, need, I need your instruction. Okay, guys, in the bulletin it says that my, my, um, my text is um, Ephesians 4.20, and it is. But I want to read a little bit more than that. Let me start at verse 17. Uh, I wanted you to see verses 17 through 19 because you'll notice that Paul is comparing um, these, this person of verses 17 through 19 with what he says in verse 20 and following. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk in the rest of, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind 
having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this endures forever. Guys, I'm, I'm eager to get into today's subject, um, but um, um, I, I got to restrain myself just a, just a bit because I, I need to give you a somewhat lengthy explanation or introduction as to what I'm about to do. Uh, I, I guess you've noticed that my text is not taken from the Gospel of John. We're going to get back to that series on the, um, the Paschal um, Discourse of Jesus. We're going to get back to that and finish it up. Uh, I promise, Lord willing. Um, but I have another subject that I, I feel that it's urgent to address. Um, and I'll tell you what that is in just a minute. Um, have you ever heard of Humpty Dumpty? <laughs> sure you yeah. have. Um, that was first written in 1797 by Samuel Arnod. Uh, it was written as a riddle in the beginning. Um, it goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Um, you, you may have noticed in that that there's no mention of an egg. He, he does not mention an egg, and there have been numerous um, suggested possibilities as to what he really meant. Um, some have said that it refers to a, just a short, clumsy person, or even specifically to Richard III, King Richard III, who was known as the humpback king, uh, some have suggested it was uh, referring to a brandy-boiled egg. An egg boiled in brandy. What a waste of brandy. But, um, uh, and then others have suggested that it was um, referring to a cannon, a, military, a piece of military equipment that was used in the English Civil War in 1648. But whatever the case, um, it has come to be associated with an egg and for our purposes this morning, we're going to stick with that. We're going to stick with the egg thing and the, the mental picture that I want you to have is that of an egg. Um, an egg that is so broken that for many, the hope of ever putting it back together again is long gone. That hope 
putting it back together again, um, has been replaced with a, with a deep, down, dark numbness. I'm referring to marriage. Now, some of you may think this is also corny, uh, you know, Humpty Dumpty is broken, you know, marriage is broken. And, and you, may, you, may, you may be right. But when I um, sit and listen to story after story after story of, of bad marriages, that's what I feel. I feel like I'm sitting in the midst of shards, um, broken pieces of something that was once valuable and, and, and beautiful. But putting it back together again, um, it just appears impossible. Some of you, um, and, and I, I, I would say, based on what I hear in an ongoing narrative, uh, maybe, maybe many of you have Humpty Dumpty marriages that are so broken that any hope of ever putting them back together again has, has long ago vanished. Uh, oh, you're, you're, still, you're still married, but there's not enough life in your marital bucket to wash your wedding ring, which, by the way, you still wear, but it mocks you. Um, all of those vows, all of those vows that you once took, um, where did they go? What happened to them? They, um, they've been drowned in a pool of self, perhaps. Most of the brokenness uh, is two-sided. Both, um, both the parties have contributed in one way or the other, but maybe, maybe more than, maybe more one than the other, or maybe it's 50-50, I mean, who knows? And, and what does it matter when the result is the same? Broken. Broken marriages. Now, guys, let, let me assure you that um, this little three-part series uh, did not arise out of a vacuum. I wasn't sitting in my office one day and say, ooh, maybe I should... Uh, Preach on marriage again. No. Um, it has been spawned by pain. Your pain. Pain that you privilege me to share with me. Now, guys, at, at this point, I, I got to pause and make my own confession. But it is not about my marriage. <laughs> my marriage is is one of the sweetest favors that God has ever done for me. Now, 
did you hear the word favor? Um, I do have a wonderful marriage, but it's not because I'm better or smarter than, than anybody here. It's because God has done me a favor. He chastens me in different ways. Um, but he has not chosen, at least to date, to use my marriage to whittle on me. Oh, he, not to say that he doesn't whittle, he just hasn't used my marriage to do that. My confession, as I said, is not about my marriage. My confession has to do with my, um, with my anger. I have to be very careful this morning to, uh, to keep in check the, the anger that is in me that comes from listening to story after story after story of the pain that has been inflicted by two people on two people. Two people who once said, I will love you and I will love you till I die. All those vows. Where did they go? I'll tell you where they went. They have been drowned in a, in a cesspool of of affairs, of porn, of alcohol, and, and, and abuse. And I must tell you, that all makes me very angry. I guess it comes when you encounter sin in people who ought to know better. Guys, I have begged God to not allow me to let that anger flash out from this pulpit. But I must tell you guys, there are times when it is wicked to not be angry. Um, and, and I am convinced that this is one such time, but, but, but you'll have to judge that. Um, I could dwell on stories like Moses, uh, who, you know, after he received the Ten Commandments, he came down the hill and he found the nation of Israel in this, doing what they were doing around the golden calf, and he took the Ten Commandments and he threw them down and busted them up into millions of pieces. Or I could mention Phineas. You remember Phineas in Numbers 25 who speared a man and a woman because they had... Um, they had violated a marital sanction. Uh, or I could even refer to Jesus in John 2 when he uh, overturns the tables of the money changers. And, 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 and interestingly in that, in that story, it says that Jesus sat down and made his own whip. <laughs> Jesus made the whip himself. 
And, and can, you, can you imagine the son of man with the whip in his hand and uh, driving out the, the money changers? Or I could, I could refer you to Ephesians later on in this same chapter in verse 26 where it says, be angry but do not sin. And, and I could point out that in, in those three instances, or actually the four, but the three that involve people, um, Moses, Phineas, and Jesus, nobody. Nobody was ever rebuked for their anger in those instances. So I, I have come to this conclusion. Um, when flagrant sin jeopardizes the spiritual well-being of God's people, it's time for anger. Can I say that again? When flagrant sin jeopardizes the spiritual well-being of God's people, it's time for anger. I, I understand that it is oh so possible to, to be angry at the wrong times, uh, over the wrong things, and for the wrong reasons. I do not believe that this is one of them. However, because I cannot fully understand my own motives, I can't even read my own heart when it comes to these things, I, I have determined and, as I said, beg God to avoid all at least appearances of being out of control in my anger. But ladies and gentlemen, when, when the living picture of God's intimacy with his people is defiled, did you know that? Did you know that, that marriage is, is, one of the purposes of marriage is to be a living picture of God's intimacy with his people? When that's defiled, and secondly, when, when one of our best evangelistic tools, one of the best ways we can reach the unbeliever is to show them the difference that Jesus Christ has made in our marriages. When that, when that evangelistic tool is ruined, it's time to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. You know, I've told you this story before. I, in fact, I think I've told you several times before, and I'm sure it's not any not funny anymore but it's about the baptist pastor who had a deacon who was known for his foul mouth and so he decided that um, to deal with the deacon with the foul mouth he was going to take him out on a fishing trip and speak to him about uh, about this problem so he took him out on, on you know on a boat and in a lake and um and of course they were exchanging and, and he and the preacher brought the subject up of the, the deacon's foul mouth and how inappropriate that was and it's got to stop and so right about the time they were coming to the end of that conversation, there was a strike on the line, the, the, the preacher's fishing line, and <clears throat> pardon me, it was a big fish, big fish. So he wrestled with it a little while and, and you know, reeled it in, and, and just as he got it to the side of the boat and he was leaning over to scoop it up with the net, the, uh, the line snapped and the, 
and the, and the fish swam away. And the preacher looked at the deacon and he said, Deacon, something ought to be said. Well, ladies and gentlemen, something needs to be said. I want to read you just, don't, don't try to turn because I, I'm, in some I'm just reading a couple of words, but I want to read you just some brief snatches from four of the 12 minor prophets. This is the longest one. This is out of Amos. Um, Amos says in chapter 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he is caught if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? If there is a calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Then listen to Nahum. Nahum says, the burden against Nineveh. Listen to Habakkuk. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Listen to Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, guys, let me hasten to point out that none of those texts have anything to do with marriage. The thing that all four of those texts have in common is that the prophet senses that there's an urgency to his message. So do I. Now, one more quick explanatory note, and we'll move into it. If you're visiting with us today, this all might sound a bit shrill. But if you're visiting with us today and you're married, (laughs) it might sound downright thrilling. In general, desperate times call for desperate measures. This is not going to be a a sentimental, rosy picture, a marshmallow presentation. Hard things need to be said and and considered. I um, I have not read Tim Keller's book on marriage. And very frankly, I, I probably should have. I, I hear the book is excellent and I commend it to you. It is on sale in our little book nook out in the, out in the gallery. But based on the down in the trenches kind of stuff that I hear, that's not what's needed. My approach will be um, much more blue collar, unsophisticated. Um, kind of a bare-knuckled, gritty, down-and-dirty, no-nonsense, blood-and-guts approach. (laughs) 
Now, doesn't that sound inviting? But here goes. Humpty Dumpty has fallen. The institution of marriage is broken, in some instances beyond repair. Now you can blame that on the, the culture's assault uh, on the institution, and I'm sure that there's an element of truth in that. But marriage was broken long before same-sex marriage became an issue. And we broke it. Putting it back together again um, can be done. But um, the situation is dire. And the, uh, the, um, the prospects... The prospects are slim. Why? Why is it going to be so difficult to put it back together again? Why, why are the prospects slim? Well, several reasons. I guess the first is the enemies that we face. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, all of them conspire to make us miserable. So marital issues arise, and instead of dealing with them biblically, we, um, we get hardened in our offense, we, um, we rationalize our behavior, or we blame the other party, all of which are evidences that that these enemies have made inroads. Here's the other reason why, um, why fixing this is going to be difficult. You. You have sown to the flesh and you are reaping the whirlwind. By the way, that's language that comes out of Galatians chapter 6. Paul says it like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. You've exposed yourself to porn and then you wonder why your life of physical intimacy is so anemic. Gentlemen, you do know, don't you, that that's not real. There's a word for it. The word is perversion. They don't call them porn queens for nothing. When I was in seminary, there was a guy who was a, a decent friend of mine who said something that has stuck with me since seminary in the 70s. And he said, you never, ever forget an illicit sexual event. 
and you are using that stuff on a regular basis. Or you have absolutely worshipped your kids and you wonder why your husband is so angry and distant. Yours is a kid-centered home and not a marriage-centered home. And you know better than that. You spend so much time at Cameron Brown Park or some other park, oftentimes flirting with another man's wife, because you're trying to get your own needs met through your kids. You play so much tennis or golf or whatever that you have no time for anything else. So your soul goes unattended. And I would suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the, the crux of the issue is the unattended soul. My friend, you can read all the books that you like. You can spend all the money you care to on counselors. But until you are committed to the birth, care, feeding, and nurture of your soul, this is not going to get any better. God must be honored. He will not be mocked. Augustine said about us that we were guilty of having inordinate loves. Oh, we have a list of them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has got to be changed. All of which brings me to my text. If you've still got your Bibles open in Ephesians 4, I hope you look at this text with me. In light of what I just said, I want to ask you this. Is that how you learned Christ? That's how Paul states it in verse 20. In those verses 17, 18, 19, he's talking about a Gentile lifestyle. He uses words like darkened and lewdness and uncleanness and greediness. And then he opens verse 20 with the conjunction, but. Because he's talking to a different audience now. And he turns to this audience, which makes a profession of faith that they belong to Jesus Christ. And he says to them, is that how you learn Christ? All that lewdness and stuff? Um, and then, um, verse 21 is really somewhat of a parenthesis, uh, that takes us to verse 22, but in the parenthesis of verse 21, um, he's explaining kind of who he's talking to in verse 20. And if I could paraphrase it, it would read something like this, but you have not so learned Christ, assuming that you've heard him and been taught by him. Maybe we shouldn't assume that. Maybe you don't belong to him. 
And that's why you make some of the choices that you make. But for the moment, let's just assume that you do belong to him. Well, tell me, how did you learn Christ when it comes to marriage? Did you learn that selfishness was good? Did he teach you that? Um, did you learn about selfishness from Christ? Um, <clears throat> did, did he teach you about the excellence of porn? Was it Christ that told you that it was okay? Was it he that taught you how to withdraw and withhold and punish your spouse? Um, how did you get so good at belittling speech, abusive words? You see, guys, the, the point I'm trying to make is that believing Believing in Christ, belonging to Christ, means that we've learned things. We've learned things from Christ. We've learned from him how things are supposed to be. We've learned from him how, how life is supposed to work. He's given us a blueprint for marriage. It is Jesus that takes things that are turned upside down and he turns them right side up. Ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, we have learned Christ. We have learned from Christ how marriage is supposed to function. And it is that same Christ who preached and produced holiness in all of his followers. Where is that holiness? When it comes to your marriage. Where did you learn that other stuff? Because you didn't learn it from him. Well, now, wait a second here, Dr. Young. You know, uh, uh, you, do, you, you don't have any right to say all those harsh things about my marriage. Maybe I don't. What I think gives me a right is the parade of brokenness that marches into my office ongoingly. And I would bet you that what reaches my office is only the tip of the iceberg. But I, I, don't, I don't like somebody talking to me like this, Dr. Young. I don't blame you. 
I don't like talking like this either. I just know that all these affairs, all this porn, all this alcohol, all this abuse, it has got to stop. It's all that stuff that creates shattered people, hurt people, lonely people, scared people, poor people. Guys, when we get to the third sermon in this little series, I'm going um, to offer you some kind of down in the trenches help. Um, but you'll have to come back then, then to, to hear what we're offering you. Guys, you may not hear it in my words or in my voice, but I hope you will believe me when I say, I am trying to help. You know, I told you when I got back from Syria that, I mean, from Serbia, that, um, that I had taught Jeremiah and I had prepared for months in advance and, and that the book of Jeremiah had kind of gotten in me. And, and that's true. It, it continues to be in me. And, but in chapter one, when God calls Jeremiah to the office of prophet, he, um, he says to Jeremiah this. Behold, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah, here's here's your job. I want you to get out there and I want you to pluck up And I want you to plant. My dear brother and sister in Christ, I'm trying to pluck up so that we can all plant. And I may not be successful. But let me tell you of one who was. Jesus Christ. At the cross, my sin was paid for in full. It was plucked up by the roots. And in its place was planted a whole new life, a whole new start, a whole new hope. Guys, my sermons cannot change you or your marriage. But Jesus Christ, through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, can change you and your marriage. My friends, we need Jesus Christ 
more than we need our next breath. So come to him. Embrace him. Our hope is in Christ and him crucified. Don't wait another second. There is nothing that preaches holiness of life so strongly as does the cross of Jesus Christ. And if that is so, then tell me, my friends, how do we explain the porn? How do we explain the abuse and the alcohol and the enthroning of other gods? You did not learn Christ that way. Everything about the gospel points us to holy living. And if you will not go there, then all of the king's men and all of the king's horses will never be able to put you or your marriage back together again. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will use uh, these um, these comments to alert your people to the, the great enemy of our soul, that you would remind them that, that what is expected of us is a, is a life of holy living, not that it earns us anything, but it simply reflects that we belong to Jesus Christ. Will you use um, this church? Will you use her elders? Will you use other, other healthy happy homes to um, to influence all others so that we can indeed be useful to you in the advancement of the kingdom of Christ by showing the world the difference that Jesus Christ makes in the marriage of two people who say or at least said once that they loved each other Thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is that on which we build our lives and stake our eternities. Now teach us more about what it means to honor you when it comes to our marriages. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.